Investors like you have a problem. Today, most portfolios only include stocks and bonds. While it's currently performing, it's a strategy that Goldman Sachs predicted in 2023 to underperform for the next decade. Luckily, our sponsor, Masterworks Advisors, focuses on a non-traditional alternative asset, helping over 15,000 investors diversify a portion of their overall portfolios with blue-chip post-war contemporary art. Over 60% of wealth managers surveyed by Deloitte have already integrated art into their wealth management offering. And by signing up at masterworks.com slash advisors with code FREE, you can talk to a registered investment advisor representative who deals exclusively with this alternative asset class. So schedule a free same-day advisory call with Masterworks Advisors just by going to masterworks.com slash advisors and using promo code FREE. That's masterworks.com slash advisors promo code FREE. This advertisement relates to the provision of advisory services by Masterworks Advisors, LLC, and is not intended to offer or solicit investment in any securities and is not investment advice. Masterworks Advisors is affiliated with Masterworks. If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. Hey everyone, it's David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by critically acclaimed international best-selling author of 10 books, three of which have been turned into TV, a name everyone knows, the one and only Miss Candice Bushnell. Hello. What is going on today? How are you and where are you in the world? I never know these days. I, well, I'm excellent because it's a beautiful day and I'm in the Hamptons. And I, I would have guessed you were in the Hamptons. That was literally my guess. Yes. And I actually got up this morning, took my dogs to the beach, and then I went for a 10 mile bike ride. That's so nice. And it and is a beautiful day. And then for some reason, because my, my boyfriend is friends with Monica Sellis, the tennis player, I just gave her a ride back to her, her boat in Sag Harbor. So that was kind of fun. Are you good at tennis? Uh, no, I am. I reached my peak at probably 16 or 17. I, I've never really gotten any better. I, I mean, like on my best day, I think like, oh, I'm really good. And then people are like, you're like an advanced beginner, which well, is really annoying. Like they won't let me play in doubles. I guarantee you that you're better than me. So I'm actually from Connecticut originally. I know you're originally from Connecticut too. We all, we all end up in New York somehow, of course. When you started your column way back at the New York Observer, did you ever think you would be here 10 books later, three TV shows under your belt? Well, I did actually think that something big was going to happen to me. And I felt that way ever since I was a kid. Really? I, I had um, 
you know, a very strong purpose and reason for being here. And if it weren't for that, I would never have written Sex in the City. Um, you know, and Sex in the City has, has been very fruitful for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, if I weren't so determined to make it and, and didn't believe in myself that I had something really important to do, I, I probably would not have written Sex in the City. I would have married somebody. I would have had a baby. Um, I would have had a very different life because I really, I mean, I, as I say in the show, if you're willing to give up as a woman, the basics, meaning men, marriage, money, and children, you too can write sex in the city. But I really gave up all of those things to pursue my big dream. And, you know, if the Sex in the City TV show hadn't happened, something else big would have definitely happened to me because I was working so hard. I had another, I had another TV show before Sex in the City, my own TV show called Sex Lies and Video Clips. Oh, wow. wow. So I was, you know, before the TV show happened, I already was on an upward trajectory because I'd been working so hard. So in a way for me, for everybody else, the TV show seems like it's the one thing that changed my life. It actually didn't. It's a small part of my life. Wow. Well, I mean, it's also like a tough business, right? To come to New York and be a writer. You almost have to believe in yourself, I think, for that or any business really that you're in, right? And kind of sacrifice a lot. I mean, New York is a place where people come to make it. You don't go to New York because, you know, you want to live in that tiny one bedroom or that tiny studio apartment for the rest of your life. People come to New York because they're aspirational. And they feel like they're different from the people in their small town. Maybe they're more aware of things. You know, I mean, there, there's so many people who are fashion designers who they came, you know, they're really an anomaly. So it's, it's people who feel like they don't fit into their small town. Totally. And, and, and that's really what it's about. And I was one of those people. How did you first come up with this idea to write a column about, you know, sex and the city? Because David, I've been doing it since I was 19. Okay, so it wasn't an idea that I came up with. It was a writing style. It was a voice. It was, it was really me. And when I first came to New York at 19, I think I published my first piece. And again, this is all in my one woman show, Is There Still Sex in the City? Um, but I was writing about myself and people I met in New York City. So Sex in the City was not an idea I came up with. Sex in the City was me. It's my voice. It was something that I've been working on for 15 years. 
And I wrote for tons of women's magazines. I wrote so many precursor columns to Sex and the City. Um, I think with Sex and the City, I wanted to have my own column. So that's what I was pushing for. And I had been pushing for that. I'd actually had my own column, a relationship column when I was in my 20s for Mademoiselle. Um, and then I had another column in Hamptons Magazine. So, uh, and I had even, you know, I was approaching people saying, you should give me my own column. And finally, somebody listened. So that was really how it came about. It wasn't like, I didn't come up with this idea. It was, right. you know, it was me. And this was, it was an outlet for my work is really what it was. And then how did the TV show come about? Like, when did you first realize this column was catching on and becoming a thing? I, uh, immediately. I had, uh, God, probably, I probably had been writing it for maybe three or four months. And what people were doing in New York was that they were faxing it to their friends in Hollywood in LA. And people in LA were in the sh in show business were obsessed with this column. And I had many offers. I had... HBO was interested, New Line, Fine Line, ABC was interested. So there were a lot of different junctures where I could have made a different decision and we would not have had that HBO show. But I would have had a TV show. It might've been on ABC. Um, I may have made more money. <laughs> you know, it might've been on ABC and not been a hit. Who knows? I mean, there are just so many different factors. Right. Um, so I knew pretty quickly that it was, I mean, the column was a big deal. I think people don't understand that. Um, and because the column was a big deal, that, and because there was so much energy in my writing, that's really what drove the TV show. So it really comes from, you know, there's an inherent energy in the work and an inherent, it's, it's real. And it's about something very specific. It's really about a certain kind of woman at a certain place in her life that never really existed before. And this is the single woman, not in her 20s, in her 30s. And it's about women having, it's a new time in women's lives because of, you know, because of the 80s where women are pursuing careers and they're also having sex before marriage. That led to the sex in the city woman, a single woman in her 30s in the 1990s. And it was kind of, it was a new phenomenon because in the 90s, there weren't supposed to be any single women in their 30s. It was like something had gone wrong. And yet the women who I know knew were very feminist, very strong, very like, you know, we are bonded together. We have a sisterhood and we survive 
in this city as women and we have each other back have each other's backs and you know the reality is the the you know, I told many women's interviewed many, many women for sex and for sex in the city. But some of those women I had been interviewing in my 20s about relationships. So um, but it really came out of the fact that I think what I nailed is this is a new phenomenon and this is a new kind of woman. And that's really what made the TV show successful. It's about something. Yeah. Did you get- specific. Did you get pushback? You know, it was revolutionary and it changed and no one was telling these stories of women who were single in the city and were open to talking about everything. Like, did you get pushback though? Like with the column and then, you know, it was a different time back then. I did, I did. There was a lot of slut shaming. Um, I mean, I think the other thing about the column that, and the book is that it has a much more full view of, of, you know, of, of being gay. So the gay, there are a lot of gay characters in the book and it tells a lot of their stories of relationships and that kind of thing. Um, so it was, you know, that was also new. Yeah. Um, you know, not treating gay characters as stereotypes. And yeah. Yeah. And one dimensional. But I mean, yes, you know. I did, I did get pushback. I really did. And, and, you know, and people were very threatened. People are very threatened by the idea of, of women not needing men, which was, is really the message. Um, you know, it's really about being independent, you know, for a reason, because heterosexual relationships can be quite bad for women. You mm -hmm. know, they really can be. Um, and that's something that we don't talk about. But it's, you know, this idea of women not having to settle, it really angered a lot of people. And that was, you know, a lot of, a lot of the stuff at the beginning of that series is, it's right from the book. And it really is about, you know, it went on from there. And so it, you know, it didn't, I don't think it ended up being the way it was at the beginning. Um, but there was really a lot of pushback about these women are single and it's all their fault because they won't settle. You know, it's that great line in the pilot of somebody says, why don't these women just go out with a short, fat, bald man? And then the character of Miranda says, I've been out with that guy and they're just as bad as the good looking ones. Right. So, you know, there was a lot of people felt, people always feel threatened by women with their own money and their own power. Yeah. It's much less true today, but it's still true. I mean, we see it. You see it every day. Yeah, we do. Well, then we have the fifth character in the column in the Sex and the City book and the TV show, New York City. It's a love letter to New York. What's your favorite area of New York City? 
<sighs> I know it's a hard question, yeah, right? That's a hard question. You know, it's a, it's a hard question. I, I feel like the Upper East Side is probably the cleanest. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there's some parts that are definitely not my favorite part, like the Upper West Side. Too many families with strollers. I don't know. I, I'm still like children do not believe, belong in Manhattan. Get them out, you know? Um, I've lived in buildings with very few children. So I think that's, yes. I'm not going to argue with that statement. I'm, I'm really just joking. But, um, you know, I love downtown, the village. I, I've, I've lived either downtown or, you know, or on the Upper East Side. So those are good areas. But, the, but the, you know, the downtown, it's great. The Upper East Side is great too. I live downtown, but I'm out on the Upper East Side a lot. Where do you go? I go to like the typical, like the Mark and like the Carlisle and the Regency and the Biblical. I like all that stuff. Yes. I thought of moving uptown for a minute because I'm always up there. And then I came to my, like, you know, I'm like, I like this probably because I go home every night to Chelsea and I can come back the next day. Exactly. So, but I like, I mean, to me, the Upper East Side feels the, it still feels the most like typical New York of what I think of, like when I think of like my childhood and like growing up in Connecticut and coming to New York, it's like, it's a neighborhood. Everyone knows everyone. It's like the Hamptons to me up there more so than other areas. You know, when I lived downtown though, I knew, I think I knew 20 people who lived on ninth street. Really? Yes, I, well, I lived on uh, like Fifth Avenue and Ninth Street and then University and Ninth Street. Um, but that was where I felt like that huh. was so neighborhoody. I Every day that I walked out, I definitely saw two or three people I knew on the street. Wow. Just, and, and I do, that I kind of miss. I mean, I know people on the Upper East Side, but for some reason there was this time and this place like, I, my best friends lived across the street and I, I, I don't know. I felt like I knew a hundred people who lived in a five block radius. Huh. That's interesting. That's New York. Yeah, that's New York. Were you familiar with Darren Starr before? Like, did you watch Melrose plays like 902 and oh, were you a fan of all of that before working with him? No, because I didn't watch TV. I did not even I don't think I, I really didn't even own a TV until 1998 because first of all, nobody I knew watched TV. Who had time to watch TV? Nobody stayed home. Yeah. And TV was very, very LA. Um, And I met Darren Starr because I did a story on him for Vogue magazine. So because he was doing Central Park West. Which was also a great show. Yes, but it did not work. It did not work. And so I think that Darren was very annoyed that, you know, at network and said, I'm gonna, you know, do this. And I mean, Darren told me, Darren and I were friends and, you know, from early on, he wanted to buy it as a book. 
I mean, he wanted to buy it as a show. So yeah. he's always somebody who was in the mix. And I, I just really liked Darren's sense of humor. We just, we had a great time and we laughed about a lot of the same things. So I thought that he would really be the best person to do it. So that was, that was really why I sold it to him. That makes sense. What about the casting? Like how involved were you in like choosing like SJP and everyone? Well, you have to remember at one point, SJP did not want to do it. Right. So after she shot the pilot, she did not want to do it. And I remember that vaguely. And I think at one point they were saying that I should have played the part. And now I'm like, yeah, I should have played the part. But then they convinced her to do it. Um, And, uh, you know, I probably had stuff in my contract, some kind of approval, but I wasn't savvy enough to know that because they kept sending me the tapes and I would go on some auditions and that sort of thing. Um, But I didn't feel, I don't know. I I wasn't, I did, I, you know, they don't really listen. It's, it's, you know, this is the thing about TV. It's not your choice. It's not your decision. It just isn't. No matter what anybody says, it's not. You're either an insider on that business or you're not. So, I mean, really the first thing they try to do in TV is cut you out. Right. Financially and, you know, job-wise. So that's what they do. It's just standard operating procedure. Was that hard for you to like kind of let your baby go and have it take on another life? Um, no, it, it wasn't because... You know, I, I mean, I'm a novelist. Right. You know, I mean, I really want to write the great best, great American novel. Now I'm like, forget it. That's never going to happen. Um, but no, I mean, and, and the first two years, Darren worked on the show for two years. And those first two years, it was, it was really fun. We had a great time. Yeah. So, you know, and we would hang out with the cast. We went to Italy a couple times and it was, it was fun. It was really fun. Well, if they didn't convince SJP after the pilot, we might have Candace Bushnell. You might be adding TV actress to your resume. Exactly. Exactly. But that was something that, you know what? I don't love being on TV sets. You don't. No, it's not really where I want to spend the bulk of my day. I mean, that's the that's the thing that people don't really think about is, you know, you've got to be on that set and it's tedious. Yeah, it's tedious work. You know, the battery's always running out. Um, reshoot shooting the same thing over and over shooting it's also a lot of the time you know it's cold it's rainy and you're sitting outside 
or you're in a tiny little crowded room with everybody else. It's, and I don't know, it's just, I don't love being on a set. Was there any, I mean, I've read so much. Was there anyone that was heavily in the mix other than SJP, like in the beginning? Cause I've read so many different things, but like that, you know, of, or like, did you have an idea of who you wanted? You know, I really did not. I really didn't. Um, and Sarah Jessica Parker was, I mean, somebody who we went to see her and Darren and I went to see her in Once Upon a Mattress. And I thought she was nice and cute and she's funny too. I mean, that was, that was really, to me, was the main thing was that she had comic timing and she, because I'm, believe it or not, I used to be very funny. I think you're still funny. I've read many of your books. You're very funny. I still am on stage. Um, But that, I mean, that's the thing that's hard to find is you know, and especially back then, women who are funny, that's not necessarily considered a plus if you're an actress. You know what right. I'm saying? Like, yeah. looks and boobs are much more important because there aren't that many funny parts for women. Yeah. So I would say that was, you know, that was what I think was I thought was was really good and she also lived in New York right so she got the New York thing which is very you know if you don't live in New York and you're from LA like they never get it it's just a thing it's like a flavoring they just it's very hard to nail unless you actually live in the city and I that's, see that on TV all the time. That's true. I never really thought of that. But if I think about like Darren Starr younger, I think Sutton Foster lived here before that. And Debbie Mazar certainly did. Yes, she did. She did. And so did Nico Tor- Tortorella, I think. So, I mean, I never thought of that, but that's a good point. Yes. Huh. So, so that was the appeal. That makes a lot of sense. So I know you knew you were destined for something great. If it wasn't this, it would have been something else. But did you think the same thing with this TV show? Like, I mean, did you know it was going to be, I mean, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but you could just say, yes, this column, this book, this Darren Star, HBO, this is it. It's going to be, I mean, massive, epic, insane, in syndication forever. Like, could you no, tell that? You know, it's, it's like... This is the reality and people simply have got to accept this as the reality. The success or failure of these shows depends on many factors. One of the factors is how much do the people want to do the show? Do they get along? Do they want to really make it work? Does the network want to keep it on the air for whatever reason? And then these things grow. And the longer it's on the air, the bigger an audience it tends to draw. So that's, you know, there's a lot of talk in TV. People get very, 
you know, everybody wants to have a hundred episodes so they can go into syndication because that's supposedly where the money is. Um, and, you know, there are just a lot, like I think of Lipstick Jungle. Lipstick Jungle, I thought was going to be a huge hit. Such and a good it, show. I it mean, should have been. Jungle should have been as big as Sex in the City. It really was the Sex in the City woman, but it was about women having careers and women in their 40s. And, you know, we had the showrunner. I mean, it was a disaster trying to find a showrunner. They had lots of different showrunners, about three or four. Um, so that was something that did not happen on Sex in the City. Darren Starr did the pilot. Michael Patrick King came on as soon as they were going to series. And it was just Darren and Michael Patrick King, really, for the first two years. I mean, they really, you know. And, um, you know, they develop the sh a show and a rhythm to it. And on Lipstick Jungle, we had the showrunner and the director started fighting. And the director said, I am going to ruin this show. And he did. So it's like these kinds of factors that are, and then all of our executives at NBC got fired. You know, that didn't happen at HBO. They, HBO wasn't taking five network executives and firing them in one day because they're bringing on a new head of HBO. So I know that this is not what the audience wants to hear. They want to think that it's magic. It's the opposite of magic. It's, it's reliably creating a product that works. That's really what it is. And it grows from there. And, you know, as more people tuned in, um, you know, the show just got bigger and bigger. So nobody, you cannot predict that. You cannot predict what's going to happen. And, you know, I mean, I think people tuned in to watch the show because it was really about specifically this new kind of woman, which is something that I outlined in the book. So I, you know, but then are all of these other factors going to work? I don't know. It's sandal season. Look, everyone always gets excited for sandal season. The weather is warmer, but I wear sandals year round. And now you can too, thanks to Crocs. With the new Croc style sandals, you can embrace those feel good summer vibes all year long. I love Crocs sandals, not just because they're stylish, but because they're so comfortable. And when I'm comfortable, I feel I can do anything. They have new Miami sandals and Brooklyn sandals, but my absolute favorite are their getaway sandals. They are so soft, light, and thin. It literally feels like I don't have any shoes on at all. There's a cushiony, soft footbed, and it honestly feels like I'm walking on clouds. Style-wise, they go with anything and everything, and I can wear them anywhere, no matter how casual or a more formal event. You have to check out the getaway sandals and all of their sandals come in such a variety of colors. So you can match with any outfit. Right now, get 20% off your next purchase at crocs.com. Just use the code sandals20 at checkout. That's sandals20 at crocs.com for 20% off your purchase. 
Bombas's mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you're also giving to someone who's in need. Bombas designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the most comfortable clothes you can't wait to put on every day. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, which is my favorite part, and has a luxurious, cozy feel. Now you guys are listening to my podcast, so you're all reality TV fans. I'm sure you've seen Bombas on Shark Tank. Shout out Damon John. And listen. Do you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. Their socks come in so many colors and patterns. So far, Bombas customers like yourself have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash velvet and get 20% off any purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash velvet for 20% off. Bombas.com slash velvet. As some of you know, prior to being the host of the Behind the Velvet Row podcast, I ran HR and recruiting at many companies in New York. And the one tool that I couldn't live without when I hired for the company was Indeed. If you're hiring, you too need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. And I use Indeed now and behind the velvet rope, how do you think I found my great assistant? Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash velvet. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to indeed.com slash velvet to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash velvet. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you guys do what I do every January? First, you think about the year prior of all the things you didn't accomplish that you wanted to. Then you make a bunch of New Year's resolutions. And as soon as you break them, you feel bad about yourself. Are you in your own mind the way I was? Well, get out of your mind. Let me tell you, therapy can help you learn to be kinder and gentler to yourself and help you move forward. I have to tell you guys about Talkspace. Talkspace has been a miracle for me. First of all, they match you with a licensed therapist that you can connect with not only from your computer, but from your phone, anywhere on the go. I also love that Talkspace focuses on your schedule. They fit your schedule, not the other way around. With live chat, video, and audio sessions, you could easily fit mental health into your daily routine. I also love that your information is extremely private and it's just between you and your therapist. Listen, Talkspace can help you with anything, anxiety, depression, self-doubt, make your mental health more than just another New Year's resolution with Talkspace. Visit Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month when you use promo code VELVET at sign up. That's $100 off at Talkspace.com, promo code VELVET. I have to tell you about a new nutritional product that I started using called Athletic Greens. Now, I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted better gut health, I wanted more energy, and I wanted to optimize immune system. Well, let me tell you, what I love best about Athletic Greens is it's easy. I personally don't have, didn't have, and never will have time for any nutritional product that is complicated to use. So here's the thing. Athletic Greens, you take one scoop and you add eight ounces of water and that's all you need. Also, the other thing I love about Athletic Greens, it actually tastes great and it's 
inexpensive. It costs less than $3 a day. Also, I love it. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs. So there's no nasty chemicals or anything artificial. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash velvet. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash velvet to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. You guys know how busy I am recording and bringing you this podcast five days a week. I don't have a minute to myself, but when I wake up every morning, I allow myself one hour. And the one thing I turn to every morning is Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a mobile puzzle game that anyone can download and play. Whether you have a few minutes or a few hours, it's the perfect puzzle game because literally you lose yourself and just unwind. I'm on level 12. I've referred so many of my friends to Best Fiends. And well, listen, they've surpassed me in the level. There are literally thousands of levels to this game. It features tons of cute characters that help you solve thousands and tons of puzzles. And the more you win, the more challenges you face. I'm telling you, if you need to unwind, Best Fiends is a great solution. And look, don't take my word for it. Best Fiends has over 100 million downloads. Download Best Fiends for free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Download it today and have fun. On Wondery's podcast, Even the Rich, co-hosts Brooke and Arisha share the stories behind some of the most famous and infamous celebrities in our history. From my personal queen, Madonna, to Britney Spears, to the Kardashians, to the House of Gucci. And in an all-new season, they investigate the shocking kidnapping of heiress Patty Hearst. Even the Rich gives you the inside scoop on the drama that keeps these families in the spotlight, how the dynasties were built, and the lengths they are willing to go to protect the family name. I love this show because it's part history, part comedy, part gossip, which you know I love and completely fascinating. And if you want a little more Brooke and Arisha in your life, they're the perfect guides to give you your daily dose of celebrity gossip on Rich and Daily. How is Britney's new life post-conservatorship? You want to know? Go and listen to Brooke and Arisha. And I have to say, on this new season of Even the Rich, I am obsessed now with this Patty Hearst story. Listen to Even the Rich, Patty Hearst, and Rich and Daily on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. And you thought Lipstick Jungle. I mean, look, the other thing is, you know, Chris Noth. A lot of people tuned in to see Chris Noth. You know, that's another sort of like unknown factor. You know, you don't know. And he did, I don't think he, he didn't even particularly want to do it either. You know, I mean, he really, he only signed up to be a guest star. And I think he was only in, you know, he would only be in, maybe eight shows out of the thir- 12 or 13. So, you know, these, these are contracts that people have and, you know, all of those things are, are big factors. Uh, you know, now on network, it's very easy because they just look at those numbers. Right. And you thought Lipstick Jungle would be the same thing once it was in motion. I did. And, and I feel like it should have been. And, but you know what? A lot of stuff went wrong too. It's like also, 
I mean, at that time there were a lot of bloggers. So, you know, as an artist, you never know. I mean, I always, I feel like I pretty consistently, I'm always, you know, feminist. I'm always gonna be writing about women. I always wanna write about women who don't have a dream of getting married and having a baby. Right. But, you know, for a lot of women, that is their dream. So that works for them. It doesn't work for me. I don't think it's interesting. And I don't, I think that women should really push ourselves to look at the world in a very different way. Um, but you also don't know, like, what is going to be the mentality or the vibe of, you know, people who are out there writing about these things. Right. You know, you don't know. It's, it's, and when you have a long career, you know, there are times when people decide, oh, everybody loves you. And then everyone decides like you're over, you know, you're not old enough for that to happen to you. (laughs) But I mean, this is just a reality. Sometimes you're the flavor of the month and sometimes you're the dog poop on the shoe. And it changes so quickly. So, I mean, that's another kind of unknown thing. Has anyone ever come up to you? You know, I'm a self-respecting gay man, so it's no shock that I love your books and I love your column way back and I love Sex and the City, but has anyone ever come up to you like an actor or someone where you're just like shocked that they're, you know, like some actor you would just never expect? You'd be like, wow, you you watch Sex and the City? Uh... No, because I'm not around very many actors. Right. I don't, I actually, I don't hang out with famous people. I do not, I mean, Brooke Shields is a friend of mine. Um, it's almost, despite the fact that she's an actor. Right. You know, I, I don't have, I don't have a lot of famous friends. I don't. So actually, no. And I'm also somebody who like, I don't even get the fame thing. I, you know, I mean, I hate, I hate hierarchies. That's one Mm -hmm. of the things that I hate about a TV set. It's a cast system. And I don't like to be in a cast system situation. It offends me morally. Um, So I don't, the whole fan thing and actors are put on a pedestal. I don't dig it. I get it. It's a concept I talk about all the time too. Like fame, it's very strange. It's a very strange thing. Yes. I mean, I don't understand why somebody's better than somebody else because they're an actor. But having now acted on stage, I notice that people treat me differently. And I'm, I, I feel like, I should have been an actress. I should have. I could have been. If you were the lead in Sex in the City for six years, yes, I, I would think people would treat you differently. It's just, it's, it's awful, but that's how it is. But you know, if also, if I had been the lead in Sex in the City, maybe it only would have lasted two episodes. Who knows? And you wouldn't have written all these books they've written since. Exactly. I mean, I don't think you would have had time. You, you might've had time to write one. But, you know, but, you know, that, but sitting 
and writing a book, a novel. Like that's really how I like to spend my time. Most people don't want to spend their time doing that. But that is true. Do. So well, one of the books you've written is Is There Still Sex in the City, which has now, I know you've referenced to the fact that you've been on stage. So that has now led to your, I know that you were just in Pennsylvania, I think, doing your one woman show of this. Yes, I'm doing a one woman show on stage, which is, it's really, it's a very cool, interesting thing to do. Um, I mean, first of all, I have to say the the people in the, play world have are have been really they're really nice and they're really welcoming um and they're super supportive so that's that's like wow that's great and they're all super smart and I don't know it's just been I, I just feel like I've met so many like interesting, smart, talented, but also down to earth people. That's good. You know, and, uh, and it's, it's been fun. It's hard though. It seems like it would not be easy. It's, it's not, but at the same time, for some bizarre reason, it's not really hard either. Really? And I have to do, well, it's going to come to New York. Right. That was, I was going to ask you. I mean, I've heard, I've read that it was going to come to New York. It's going to come to New York. That's yes. good. I mean, they'll have to, you know, make some sort of announcement, but um, we're very excited about it. And I, I'll have to do eight shows a week. Wow. And everyone's like, how can you do that? And then I said, well, if you really look at it, what am I doing? I'm talking for an hour and a half and I'm walking around a little bit. You know, maybe I'm doing like a thousand steps. It's not that hard. I mean, you still have to know all the lines now. I know. But you do, it's, you end up at a certain point after you've done it kind of like 10 times, it's just something clicks in your. Wow. Right. You know how if you listen to a song 10 times and then you try to sing along with it, after a few times, you know, all the lyrics, like I've always memorized the lyrics to like, I know the lyrics to every song. That's true, but they're not an hour and a half each, but I guess they all add up to an hour and a half. It could, exactly. Okay. I mean, I guess that makes sense. So that's my perspective. Well, that's, that makes, that makes logical sense to me. What about what, how do you feel about the Sex in the City reboot, which is now shooting? I think it's so exciting. <laughs> I have to tell you, I, um, I mean, I really respect Michael Patrick King because doing these kinds of TV shows, I mean, this is a totally different situation than when we were making the pilot in the first two seasons. Like, to me, that feels like the kind of thing that I could do. It's like much more hands-on and it's much smaller. It's, you know, it's like you're making something. But these kinds of shows have, there's tons of money and 
and tons of stress. And, you know, believe me, you know, they want their product to work. And you have to deal with so many network executives and there's just a huge amount of stress and, you know, they want a huge audience. Yeah. You know, when, when, I mean, HBO wasn't really expecting any audience. They really didn't even care. Like two people could have watched and it would have been fine. Um, But this kind of thing, it's a very different situation. And Michael Patrick King he knows how to do those kinds of TV shows. You know, he did Two Broke Girls on CBS. And I mean, that's, it's like, it's that kind of thing, really. You know, they want a big, big audience. Yes, I imagine that there's a lot of money behind it. And I mean, the marketing on it has already started and they want a huge return on investment, I would think. Yes, I mean, it's a lot of pressure. I would not know how to do that. It's like Michael Patrick King, Darren Starr, and Chandra Rhimes. That's it. Yeah. And Ryan Murphy. Yes, of course. That's the one I would throw in there. See, I don't watch enough TV to know about Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy, he's good. Can we have this reboot without Samantha, though? They have so many characters. And I mean, see, I don't really look at it as a reboot. I really look at it as a spinoff. It's a spinoff. They're calling it a reboot, but it's really a spinoff series. It's like some of the same characters, some new characters. It has a different title and just like that. And, you know, I mean, it's really... Yeah, I mean, it's a spinoff. So I think they can kind of do whatever they want to do. And also they're going to do it. I mean, come on. If HBO did not do a reboot, which is what they're calling all these shows, of Sex and the City, you would be like, come on, guys. You've got to be kidding. This is a huge franchise for you. I mean, it's a big, it's one of their big properties. I know how much money they've made off of it because I get the statements. And, you know, these are big, big properties for them that they're going to exploit. That's just business. So. A spinoff, I mean, that's an interesting way to think about it, but that makes a lot of sense to me too. What about if you, for me, it's like, okay, you know, the rules of the old TV show don't have to necessarily apply. I think that's really what it is. It's like that TV show had very specific rules and a very specific structure. And, you know, this, I don't know what, you know, all of these shows have their own inherent rules. So I don't know what they're, rules are i'm not involved so i don't know but i'm sure that michael patrick king knows he's probably got it under control i think he has something figured out at this point what about you know if you were involved and someone said it's only up to you candace who would you cast cast to play samantha 
You know, I can't even answer that question. This, I mean, this is the, I mean, I feel like those characters have kind of become so big that they're, you know, they're like characters in Star Wars. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, the one I, what I do know is that there are just so many different women who identify as, you know, one of those characters. So. I mean, I, I mean, I, I couldn't even, I, I couldn't even answer that. That makes sense. I mean, who would you cast? Well, it's also, like you said, a spinoff. It is logical. You know, first of all, like you said, people don't come to New York to live in the studio. They do come here for careers. So like, I'm sure you would agree, like people come and go out of New York. Like you're here probably forever. I'm here probably forever. We're kind of from this area, but it makes sense. I mean, I don't know how they're going to write it into the story, but it makes sense that people leave and you're not friends with the same friend group always, no matter how close you were. So, I mean, that logically makes sense. I think it almost adds an element to the story that's realistic. Yes, it could. It could. So, but I just, I don't know anything about it, but that clothes look really fun. The clothes look really fun. I mean, that's the other thing that Sex and the City was revel. I mean, the way that they integrated like Pat Field and I mean, that was novel too. Yes, but you know what? Part of that is also, it just so happens that Sarah Jessica Parker can wear pretty much anything. And that is not usually the case. I can promise you that too. So they happen to have an actress who, you know, she's really small, she's really slim, and, she, you know, they can alter the clothes and make her, she can, you know, wear a lot of stuff that a lot of people just couldn't wear. So, and they, you know, I think they used that. That's really a costume designer's dream because most of the time you're trying to cover up people's flaws. Yes. Are you a fashion girl? Are you really into fashion? I was when I was younger. I mean, the whole fashion thing comes from me. You know, I was, I worked at Vogue. I wrote about fashion. I was a fashionista, I guess, before there, we had that horrible word, fashionista. Um, but, you know, I lived in New York. I wore Manolos. I knew fashion designers. I went to, uh, you know, I went to the first fashion shows in Bryan Park and covered those. Um, so, yes, I mean, fashion is one of the big businesses in New York, unlike a lot of other places. The fashion industry, New York City is one of the top, what, four fashion capitals yeah. In the world. So if you live in New York, yes, you're going to be fashion conscious. And, and so, yes, all the fashion stuff comes from me. In fact, Darren actually, oh God, I don't even know. Was it like the second episode when somebody was like, how are we supposed to dress Carrie? And Darren pointed at me and said, like her. So there you go. So there you go. 
if you could but wear now, like, no, I'm not at a certain age. It's like, no, you really outgrow the, you outgrow the, if I have the latest handbag, my life's going to be okay. Syndrome. Right. You, you know, a handbag's not going to change your life. I have a bad obsession, so I'm the wrong person to ask. But yes, I get it. Not a handbag, but bags. But I do get it. What about if you got a call and they said, you know, just, I know you're not an actress and you're busy with your show, which is coming to New York, but what about if someone said, would you like to make a cameo in the reboot or spinoff, as you call it? Just a quick cameo. Would you say yes? Well, I... I mean, now that I'm doing this show, uh, I actually want to do like, I want to go on other TV shows. So yes, but I also want to go on Law and Order. Really? (laughs) Everybody does cameos. and, And I also would like to make a cameo in Gossip Girl, but I don't even have to be, it doesn't even have to be a cameo. I could just play a part and, you know, wear a wig. Would you want to play yourself maybe in both of those, especially Gossip Girl? I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, part of this is because of Jay McInerney. And Jay McInerney, who's the writer, wrote Bright Lights, Big City, went on Gossip Girl about three or four times. And he was actually really, really good. And I was just so jealous. So that's... Yes, I'll do it. The original Gossip Girl was phenomenal. And the reboot is, I mean, at least in the beginning, the numbers were like phenomenal. I haven't checked the past two weeks, but it was like, I think the first weekend, it was like the highest rated for HBO streaming for like that, whatever it's on HBO Max. Yeah, I mean, you know what that's and that's and it actually didn't even get very good reviews from what I saw. But I never watched I don't watch TV. I just don't. I'd have Netflix, but I can't, I, I, can't, I don't even, I, my eyes, I have really bad eyesight. That's really the problem. So. Well, maybe after this interview, we're now putting it out to the world that Kenneth Bushnell would like to appear on the new Gossip Girl and on Law and Order. Yes, exactly. Which is a rite of passage. I mean, who hasn't been on Law and Order, right? Exactly. What about, you know, I feel that we oh, are all real housewives and everybody thinks Dorinda was yelling at me, but she wasn't. She wasn't. No, I had said what happened. And she said, this is what I said. Not now, bitch. And then they cut it. So it looked like she was saying it to me, but she was actually telling me a story about something that she, about what she said to somebody else. I wouldn't want to be on Dorinda's bad side, so that's good. I've gone on that show a couple times. Yes, you have. Yeah. I mean, you also know Lu- Luann, I know. You know Luann well. Luann lives down the street from me. Yes, she does. Well, I mean, would you ever, if they came calling, sign up? You know, 
I like a lot of those. I mean, it looks like such a fun thing to do, doesn't it? I, you go on a trip. Of course, you have to ride around in those damn buses all the time. Like, okay, it's a glamorous bus, but it's still a freaking bus. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you go on private planes and you go on vacations, you stay in places. But the thing is, I mean, first of all, even when I just went to Ramona's house, I got into trouble. I got yelled at by the producers. Why? So, because they said I was breaking the fourth wall. It's like, okay, I didn't know there was a fourth wall in TV, but we're good. Um, but you, you know, it's, they're just, they're tons and tons of producers and they kind of, you know, they've, it's a little bit like going to school, you know, where you got teachers and they're going to tell you what to do. I mean, you really, you can't do whatever you want to do. And I know you think it looks fun and there's a lot of fun to it, but yeah, you- it looks fun. But that's why I'm like, mm, I don't know. Plus, I really don't like yelling at people or conflict. I was just going to say there is going to be some conflict, no matter how close you are with Luann or Ramona. Or- I, you know, and I, I, but I, and that I can't do. And, you know, I know Ramona. I've known Ramona since the 80s and I've known Sonia since the 90s. So. This is why you're perfect for the show. You have natural connections to all these people. I know, but you know, I don't want to be getting into fights with Ramona. I'm just not going to do that. And that I think you would have to do. Are you shocked that something like that is so big? I mean, it really is in a way like the reality version. I mean, especially like they are all single, at least now it wasn't going to start that way. Um, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I think it's, I mean, what's interesting to me is it's like how women really want to watch other women. And it feels like there's always this, you know, I mean, the entertainment industry is largely made by men for men. It is. I mean, the things that I don't get are like superhero movies, like Marvel. People are like the Marvel universe. I'm like, tell me about it. Care about that. I care about real people who are actually here on the planet, not about you know somebody. I don't even know where they are. I tune out. I don't. I couldn't tell you anything. Like the minute I see something like that, I'm like, I don't know anything. I I agree. I completely tune out. I mean, to me, those things are a mystery. To me video games, people spending hours like gaming and then they go into these different worlds and they buy little things. You can get tokens. I don't know how you do that, but it's like you live on your computer. That to me is bizarre. So the fact that, you know, women want to watch like real other women, like with nice purses and stuff, that makes sense to me actually. And having fun and franchise it actually it it makes sense and they own their singleness and 
they're confident and they own that they want to go on and do what they want. Well, and they don't need yeah. men. I mean, I think it's really, really hard to, it's really hard to find a partner when you're in those situations. And what makes it harder is that they're heterosexual women. So heterosexual men don't tend to like that power situation. And then, I mean, I've seen this happen a lot. You know, straight men, they don't really feel that comfortable with like, oh, the woman's getting all the attention. And then it's not just that, it's that then people also make assumptions about about them. You know, like, oh, well, you must be like this if you're with her. And that seems to be something that straight guys don't like so much. Ramona has said that many times. I mean, on interviews and just that no one wants to date us because we're on the show. She's like, it's not what you think. It's true. I mean, it's very hard. But can, I mean, I see that with. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard. If you are, if you are that high profile person, I mean, then there's someone like Cynthia Rowley, who I love, fashion designer, or Nicole Miller, fashion designer. They both have been married to their husbands for 20 years. So if you've been with the person for a really long time, and then that growth has happened and you have a partner who's like, yay, my wife, I'm so proud of my wife, blah, blah, blah. Um, yes, it can work, but it's, it's, it's hard to, it's like, you can't, it's hard to find that relationship like right out of the gate. You know, you're, you're starting all over and they are, they only know you as, you know, this person who's, and also people come sense. to you and a lot of guys don't like that either. I mean, listen, I don't love being with, I mean, that's why I don't hang around with famous people. I, I hate it when we're having a conversation and somebody comes up, it's like. It's hard, right? And it's, it's constant. It's hard. And it's constant. I mean, Brooke Shields is one of those people who, I mean, when she was doing Lipstick Jungle, she is literally one of the most recognizable people in the world. And people have known her since she was like a baby. They've grown up with her and she's super, super nice. And she talks to like everyone and she's really, really nice. So I feel like I feel like I learned a lot from her because she's so gracious and she knows how to do it. But it's, you know, it's a lot. See, so when people come up to you and want to talk to you and want a picture, it's you've learned from Brooke. I have, but you know, it doesn't really happen to me. Really? Well, well first of all, most of the time I'm wearing scrunchies and glasses. <laughs> so... And people, I, I promise you, when I walk down the street, people don't look at me or they just say, there's, a, there's like an insignificant 62-year-old woman. 
I, I'm telling you. So I'm kind of invisible. It's, it, it, you prefer that. It's fine. My feeling is, you know, I like, I like dressing up and doing the hair and makeup and stuff like that, but I know it's just a costume. Right. It's, it's not something that I want to be doing 24 hours a day. I get that. Is this true? I read that your last book rules for being a girl is that possibly being turned into a tv show too what's in development or possibly i don't know i mean that i just i love that book i wrote it with this other young adult writer katie katugno yeah and she was she was really good and i mean the thing about that book is it's about a girl and she's a predatory teacher i mean it's not a funny book Right. It, you know, it's very, a very feminist book, but it's just so freaking real. Like mm-hmm. what happens to the character Marin is what has happened to so many women. And it really outlines the step-by-step things that the predator does. Um, but that I probably, I, do, I don't, I have no idea. That's one of those things where they, I say where they get rid of you. That's one of those things where they don't even make a pretense of it. They say, we're going to do this. You are not going to be involved and you are not going to hear from us. And maybe someday this will be on TV and then we'll let you know. And we might or might not invite you to the premiere if there is one. This is one of those. Right. At least the premiere. I mean, I think, you just, be, I mean, yes, I wish that they would. It was a great book. Yes. I mean, it really was. Well, I know you're busy with bringing, is there still sex in the city to Broadway? Two final, three final questions before I wrap up. Very quick ones. Are you, any plans to write another book? I mean, not, you know, I don't, you're entitled to time <laughs> off. Yes, I, I'm now supposed to be writing my memoirs, which. That's harder. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to do it though. Yeah, New York in the late seventies, Studio 54, what I remember of it. Okay. So yes, that's one. Yes. And my agent calls me like every two weeks. Have you written any pages? I would imagine it's harder to write your memoir. You mentioned you now have a boyfriend. I, I've had I've been seeing someone for a while, for like four years. Cool. But he travels a lot, whatever. So it's a grown-up kind of situation where people are not. I mean, it's it's the is there still sex in the city? Over fifty kind of relationship where. People really like each other, but, you know, it's like everybody has their own house. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? It's like nobody, it's like, we're not having kids because that ship sailed a long time ago. And, you know, we're, you're there because you want to be. 
I'm all for that. I've always said, if I am in a serious adult relationship, I'm all about the own house. I think that's, that's a good way to go. Really. I'm, I, I see it. Could see each other every day if you want. Exactly. And finally, before we go, is there anything you would like to discuss? I've had my own questions, but like anything I didn't bring up that you want to discuss, I appreciate you taking this time to go over everything. I, I mean, I just, I feel like I probably said like too much. So just forget everything that I said. <laughs> yes, I would say come and see the show, Is There Still Sex in the City? Because we are really trying to make it like it's a night out. It's like if you were coming to my apartment and then we might have a club underneath. Ooh. A disco club because everybody wants disco again. Everybody wants disco again. Everybody wants to stay out. And when you see a great show you love, you don't want to go home afterwards. I mean, I'll ask you this. Have you gone dancing recently? You probably have. No, I haven't. I mean, I'm out and about in New York, but I haven't really like gone out, out for like the night. I'm excited for Broadway to come back. I mean, I'm going out to dinner and stuff. Like it feels relatively normal. Like I've been in the Hamptons this summer, but not out dancing, no. We kind of need that, right? I think we might need that at some point soon. And the show has gotten great reviews. So I am like, any idea when it's coming to New York? I, I, I know these things take time too. Yes, I feel like I can't say because I think they'll make an announcement. Okay, you don't have to say. So. But when you do, I will be there. You're going to come. And I will. you bring your friends. I'm going to bring, excuse, I mean like, a gang of gay men like we're gonna be there like probably opening night are you kidding me that is so great and all my women friends I mean most of my friends are women so that too where can everybody find you online on Instagram who wants to follow you oh I'm on Instagram I'm on under Candace Bush now easy and which is easy and on Twitter but I don't really tweet a lot me either it's all about the gram yes yes but I I yeah well, I appreciate. I, I need Twitter follow. I need Instagram followers. Well, so, everybody who's listening to this, yeah, everyone needs to go follow you because that's where we're going to find out about it all. I follow you. I do appreciate this, though. Thank you. This was a great chat. Thank you for going over your whole career. And oh, no, this is so much fun. I can't wait to see what's next. I will be at your show opening night, and I really appreciate it, Candace. Oh, thank you. Take care. Bye. You too. Keep okay. in touch. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review. Because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones. And the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. 
or head on over to Patreon because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.